Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Often we see people who hesitate to do content because they're waiting for the clarity. They're like, I'm going to start creating the content when I'm more clear. But the problem is, is that you never really ever feel 100% clear because it's the part that's part of the journey is, is to explore that and to have a relationship and understand who your ideal clients are. So what I would love to encourage people to do is say, you really, the best time to start was yesterday on the content. You need to start yesterday so that you can get on the journey of putting it out there, listening to the response, understanding where they're coming from and gain that intelligence. Like the clarity comes in the doing. Welcome back. I hope you've had an absolutely awesome week so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with Donna Griffith, corporate storyteller and pitch alchemist, and with career, business and life coach for creatives, Franklin Taggart, then check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Cheryl Plouffe. She's a video and content marketing strategist, a former Canadian TV broadcaster, and the creator of Cash In On Camera live stream and video podcast. She has been seen by millions over the course of her 25-year career in news media, has produced thousands of videos, and has broadcast over 20,000 hours of live television. Think about that. In our conversation today, Cheryl talked to me about the power of video and live streaming to engage your community and build content. We explored how to easily produce a lot of content from one conversation recording. And we talked about building relationships through conversations. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Cheryl Plouffe. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Chatham, Ontario in Canada, Cheryl Plouffe, who's a video and content marketing specialist that creates and implements content plans for six and seven figure plus businesses. And I'm really pleased to speak to Cheryl today. It seems like we've only just recently had a chat on her uh, live show, which is Cash In On Camera. So welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Cheryl. It's a real privilege to have you here as my guest. Thank you so much, Jürgen. I'm excited to get into this conversation today and just a pleasure to reconnect with you. Yeah, and Patty Block, who was our guest on episode 438 of the InnovaBuzz podcast, she introduced us 
and uh, suggested we have a conversation. So we've been doing that uh, quite often now. So hello to Patty. Yes, I appreciate so much when people such as Patty find connections between people with like-minded opinions about marketing as you and I have discovered over the last while. Yeah. All right. Now, before we talk about all things, because your specialty is is video and camera, being on camera, you've got a background as a TV presenter for many years. Before we talk more about video and the impact of video in marketing, and we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on podcasting as well, what's the impact you're having in the world today, Cheryl? Well, I think you mentioned it in the introduction. I create and implement content plans for six and seven figure businesses. So really what I'm doing ultimately is helping to position mostly business owners or representatives of their companies as authorities at what they do. And that is the premise and the underlying premise of what I'm doing. It's about, yes, video marketing, but it's also about, I think, authority marketing to a large degree. Yeah. I'm I'm curious because I get this question quite a lot when we start doing some work around content and producing content for clients. How do you measure the success of that? Well, I think it can be in variety of way, variety of ways. One of which is the metrics, the actual tangible metrics and analytics that you can look at, let's say on a social media platform or in an email marketing campaign if you're using the videos to that degree. And that's probably the most tangible way is to look at it and say, are we seeing an uptick in engagement, in clicks, in likes, in, in any form of, of engagement that we can get on social media? But there's also, I think there's this intangible section, which is the anecdotes, it's the reputation, it's the brand building, the brand awareness that can often come from these types of videos. And they are not quite as easy to track you might have to, maybe you or someone on your team can can notice there's more engagement or more comments coming in on, let's say, a video on online or something of that nature. But I think it's a lot of it is brand building and reputation that you're building. How often are you able to connect with people? So how do we really gauge that? Well, yes, it can lead to an immediate uptick in sales, but likely it's more to be something where you you gain more traction with your relationship with said person or lead. And then eventually that leads to a conversation, depending on what your offer is. There's so many variables. And then it leads to a sale. So it's that that all important relationship and trust building section of the customer journey that sometimes isn't quite as traceable. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point you make there in terms of that it's it is a step by step process and getting a lot of content that's relevant to your particular audience up onto the internet whether that's video or other forms of content is is really just a way of starting a conversation and if you can start lots of conversations then obviously one conversation leads to the next conversation and that may eventually lead to business if it's the right person. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a numbers game to a degree in the sense if you have set out a goal for yourself, um, maybe it is to book said number of strategy calls in the month or whatever that is. I mean, it has to start with, well, how are you connecting with your ideal people who might book those calls? And so often I think the world that I live in is a lot of the maybe 
top of the funnel type activities, brand awareness type activities and and reach that needs to happen in order for you to have the avail to book those those calls and then make those sales. Hmm. Um, so because I work in the organic marketing realm rather than the paid advertising realm. Yeah. And so that's really how I I see that. Okay, now we had a really fascinating conversation on your show about all things podcasting. And one of the things I was curious about, because I thought the experience was really uh, different to an audio only podcast in that it was video, but it was different also to some of the video podcasts I've been on in that it was a live stream. So why video, first of all, I guess, and why live streaming? Well, I think video is a it's pretty clear that people like to consume video. We have seen the adoption of video and consumption of video just continually going up and up over, you know, year over year. So video is the closest thing we have to being there in person with someone and people really are attracted to the dynamism of a video and the nonverbal cues and so many different reasons why video is so effective. Why we decided to do our podcast as a video podcast specifically was because, well, first of all, it's very aligned to the work that I do as a video strategist, aside from the fact that people love to consume video. But the reason that we're doing it live is because we are circumventing the post-production, which in many cases can be the more, say, cumbersome mm. part of the process. And it's not to say that it's wrong to do it the other way. It's just that for me and for my business, it was more advantageous for me to find a way to circumvent that. And that's the reason why we do it the way we do. And as such, it's interesting because I get a lot of attention for it and people ask questions about that. And so now I'm actually coaching a few people to yeah. launch their own video podcast. You know how this organically works, right? You solve your own problem and then people recognize, hey, maybe that's something that I could do. And then it mm. organically builds. And that's clearly what's happening over on this side as well. Yeah, yeah. That, that organic thing is... <laughs> is a really interesting one. You, people see you doing things and they're, oh, how did you do that? Oh, I see you're really good at that. Uh, can you help me? Mm. Yeah, the the idea of the live stream as one way to circumvent a lot of the video editing, I thought that was a really interesting idea. When we first started the Innova Buzz podcast way back about seven and a half years ago, I was doing video. I was using... Um, it may have even been Skype video. I can't even remember. Oh, wow. What used in the early days. And, but I know we were doing video. And after a little while, I was looking at the numbers and thought, not many people watch video. Most people are listening to the audio. And the video component takes such a lot of time to edit and put it together. And so we decided we'd go audio only. But I think the idea of, doing it live stream video and, and leaving the video as the raw conversation. Uh, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to do that in those early days, but today that, that sounds very attractive. And then, of course, what you do is take the audio and repurpose that and do everything that we do essentially with the audio portion. And there's something to be said as well for how you structure a show. I mean, you obviously have structured your show a certain way and, and, and I've structured mine a certain way. I have strategically chosen a time frame for our episodes to range anywhere from, say, 
15 minutes to 20 minutes really strategically and on purpose because we are utilizing the video and the audio in this case. And it's true that more often people are willing to listen to longer form audio than they are to watch a longer form video. So for us, the solution is to stick within that 15 to 20 minute range in order to suit both sides of it. But I think there's also something to be said for the repurposing aspect of it from the video perspective. I can now take that 15 to 20 minute video version and I, and we can start to slice and dice that into smaller, let's say minute and a half or two minute chunks of video and leverage that even further the same could be said of the audio side, although we're less likely to do that because of this, the way people consume audio. They do like the longer form conversations. So I think that's really where, Jurgen, we get into the strategy of all of these things. Like when I say I create content plans, it's different for every individual business owner and enterprise. You know, it's looking at it and saying, what is the best way to produce something in order to get that result? And so that's where I think it comes into play is looking at, well, what, what would work better for me might not necessarily work better mm. for you. Yeah. Um, I'd like to explore this idea of repurposing a lot further. One of the, one of the things I often hear is, should I do, should I do audio? Should I do video? Should I just write a blog post? And when I say, well, you probably should be everywhere and be doing all of those things in, in some form. Um, then the answer will be, I don't have time to do all of that. I, I can't do all. Let's let's pick one or let's pick a couple and focus on that. Um, and yet, you don't need to do that. You can be very strategic, as you say about it, and and use the idea of repurposing. So talk to us a little bit more about um, that. Uh, you, you touched on it there in terms of taking video clips and taking audio from that same interview. But tell us sort of the the principle of repurposing and how to make it easy to actually produce lots of content from one core piece. I think ideally, if you are someone who, let's say, has a team of people who you can delegate, internal people on your team, who you can delegate certain jobs. Okay, you're going to do the video, you do the audio, you copyright, you do all these different jobs and, and you can have a team of people. And I, and I think about some of the larger scale guru type people and experts in the world who might mm -hmm. have those types of situations and spend a lot of money on it. Okay, that's one thing, but that isn't most business owners reality. Most business owners are looking for uh, a streamlined, efficient, cost-effective way. Many of them, maybe solopreneurs or maybe people who are, let's say, uh, you know, say a business coach with a VA, you, know, you have to be very efficient in how you're going to delegate roles and responsibilities if it's only you and one other person. So let's just speak to it from the perspective of that kind of business owner. The hmm. Most people who are building a business, they might have a small team, right? Whether what that, whatever that looks like. And there might not be the skill set on that small team in order to do all of this repurposing. So this is really where it gets interesting because people need to look at that and say, okay, what am I willing to, to take off my plate and outsource, invest in to get other team members to take on those roles and responsibilities? And so from a repurposing perspective, we know that people consume short form content, long form content, all kinds of different content. And the repurposing is key to 
you alluded to it earlier, this idea of omnipresence or the state of constantly being encountered. We, we, if you want omnipresence, then we're going to have to build a system in order to accomplish that. You can outsource it. And in most cases, I recommend that most of it be outsourced. It's not something that a business owner should really be doing. A business mm -hmm. owner should not be sitting there at three o'clock in the morning editing the audio bed on a video. Like that's just not the best use of your time. You should be the creative director of your enterprise. And maybe you are the person who, let's say in a case like me, I would interview that business owner and extract those nuggets of wisdom from them. We can't speak for the business owner, but what can happen from that point forward is that other people can take over. Systems can be created so that that content then makes its funnels its way into a system whereby it gets chopped up, repurposed. We like to more often than not do that using branded templates. So we do the upfront work of developing the template in which the, let's say short form video, the two minute clip or, or soundbite goes into. And that pre-branded template has been pre-approved. We've already done the upfront work. We're not having to reinvent that wheel every single time we make a video. The only thing that changes is the creative or the clip or the soundbite within that template. That's one strategy, you know? And so I think it's really, Jurgen, about looking at your individual situation and saying, okay, what am I willing to take off my plate, you know, and examining, do I have a team? Do they have the skill set to do this? Could they be uh, nurtured into a new role? Maybe there is someone on your team who is a star copywriter in the rough, like is a diamond in the rough, we don't even know. Maybe that is a, a thing to explore, but if that isn't the case, then more often than not, we need to find ways to outsource this to other people. But the repurposing thing is sometimes complex and customized to each different you know, business owner's objectives, um, schedule. I mean, how often are we making the videos? There's a lot of, there are a lot of factors that come into play. Hmm. And I really like that approach. Um, there's two things there that struck me and I thought, yes, we are doing that. So it's good. I can tick those boxes. And that's the, the use of the templated um, frameworks, if you like, where you then put in the images or the videos or the audio. We use it for audio as well to, um, to then construct that little bit of content that's an extract from the bigger piece of content. And the other thing that you touched on there very briefly was having systems in place. Um, so I'd love to explore that some more. How do you systemize this in a way that enables you to outsource it in a way that enables you as the business owner or as the content creator to give it to somebody else and say, I want 20 pieces of content from this one particular video or whatever it might be. Well, I mean, let's remember, I came from the television broadcasting industry. And if you know anything about that industry, it's often very efficient. There aren't, you know, there are as few people as possible in those environments to do the very most output as possible. So it is all driven on systems. And everything that I do, I do through the lens of my professional career experience. And it all has to do with systems and efficiencies. So the templates is one example that pertains to 
the kind of marketing that we're talking about here, which is, you know, video marketing and, and authority marketing and that sort of thing. But how the systems get created is dependent on a few things. I have my own favorite tools and favorite systems that I like and gravitate toward through experience and through trial and error. Hmm. And I'm happy to share, you know, some of those tools and what I, what I love and, and how, why I like them, but through trial and error and finding integrations between this tool and that tool, or you find out that, oh, these things actually don't integrate as well together. Maybe there's another solution. And I think that's just part of the process of discovery and recognizing that there is another tool that does maybe a similar thing while also being cognizant of not necessarily switching just because something is a shiny object. So there's this, you know, there's this thing that you have to navigate to realize, okay, well, am I, am I chasing that because it's a shiny object and it's the new kid on the block or am I chasing that because it truly does allow us to build a better system? And mm -hmm. so over the course of doing this for what, eight plus years now, you can imagine that I've experimented with a lot of different platforms. I feel very confident in the ones that I use today. But when you get those systems and they integrate well with each other and they speak to each other, now all of a sudden you can set up automations, you can set up systems whereby you're not necessarily having to do all the manual work or being caught in a long email thread or in a long email chain. You know, so you can definitely find ways to make that process more more efficient and the reason why that's important is because time is money hmm. right and so the more efficient that you can be the more either time energy money you save and the more content can get created which ultimately helps you to accomplish your goal of being omnipresent yeah that's right you mentioned it was a numbers game earlier so if we can create more content in the same amount of time and better content as well imp keep improving it um, that's definitely a big bonus we specialize in live action video in the sense of people on camera you know that's really what we do because we're about authority marketing so that's why i brought in a lot of the the best practices from the broadcasting industry from a system perspective yes but also from an interview perspective when I was a broadcaster, when I was a reporter, you know, I had to go out into the field or I'd be in the studio interviewing people. And what I discovered through that is that it interviewing and asking questions, just like we're doing here, allows the other person, the guest in that case, to just express an idea and answer a question and say it in a conversational, natural and authentic way. So what I do now is I will interview people and then make, by people I mean business owners, interview them and extract those nuggets of wisdom. And there's a certain amount of skill set that's required there to be an active listener, to understand when to stop, when to, when to push forward on questioning. But once you get those answers to those questions, now you have footage. Now you've captured material from which you can then start repurposing or making a podcast or doing a, a YouTube video and you have options at that point. It really starts at the capture phase. Hmm. Yeah, and I really like that idea of using this and I've started doing this a lot more now based on the experience of the podcast and it dawned on me, hey, people 
people are giving me content on this podcast if I was strategic about this and build a system to actually design well what content do you need to get out into the world and get in front of your dream audience and get engagement with that dream audience and and so I can basically use my skills in podcasting and having that conversation to repurpose or reposition them to do that to talk to them and then the beauty of that is that when you take the words that they've said it's their voice so you can write material you can take audio well the audio clips obviously and the video clips are their voice but when you write material based on what they've actually said it's their voice so people reading or listening will not be surprised when they then interact with that person in real time because they're the same they're speaking the same language they're saying the same things it's not um, like you find with some writing services where the person or the the business on whose behalf they're writing um, doesn't get involved in the process other than to, to set up the strategy and then when you something and then speak to somebody from that company there's a big disconnect it's not uncommon to run into situations where let's say a copywriter who's been hired to write for a company or a business it takes sometimes a long time for them to find that person's voice or to find that brand's voice and and write the way that business wants to be represented. Sometimes it doesn't happen where the writer just isn't able to, to be their voice or it can take a long time. And then businesses get frustrated and they go, oh, this whole social media thing is just not for me or it doesn't work because this, you know, I've tried several times. Well, that, it's just because the words are not being spoken by you. Only you can speak the way you can, only you can express your ideas the way you do. Hmm because you're an individual. That's one of the advantages I think of the way that we do things is that there isn't, there, there's no room really for scrutiny, I guess, in that sense, because it is actually their words. It's how they express those ideas. So from a production perspective, you can imagine that you as the business owner reap the benefits of that efficiency of not having to go in circles, trying to rewrite copy and, going back and forth because it's in your voice. Hmm. So the business owner reaps the benefit of, of that overall because now there isn't any question as to what was said because we are hearing it and seeing it in the case of video. Yeah, it's a great point. And um, what dawned on me recently, and I've started doing this, and I thought I should have thought of that way back when I started using this technique, is what about applying it on myself? So so it dawned on me that when I'm on somebody else's show as a guest and they're asking me questions and I'm giving them an answer straight off the top of my head in my natural voice, the way I speak in a conversational tone, that that is content that I should be using somewhere else. So I've started actually transcribing all of the shows that I'm a guest on and then 
pulling out bits and pieces. So if somebody's asked me what are the common mistakes that people make when starting a podcast, that's a typical question I might get asked. And that's that's a nice blog post to write about. So instead of sitting down and saying, well, okay, what are those t- typical um, what are those typical mistakes and start writing that blog post, I answered that question on Cheryl's show. So I'll just go, what did I tell Cheryl? Okay, there it is. Transcribed, it's all done. Need, perhaps needs a little bit of cleanup taking out my you knows and so filler words uh, but that's a great point it's, it's it's leveraging it's leveraging any and all opportunities where you have been out and seen and heard mm. so whether that originates from your own you uh, from your own show or from your own platform or whether you were on someone else's platform the same the same thing can happen mm. and to further that point you're again yes you can transcribe your appearance on someone else's show in text format and make blog posts and quote cards and things of that nature. But even going further than that, you can also take your appearance, your video appearance on other people's shows and extract yourself and the smart things that you said on someone else's show to your benefit. Now, to further that even more is to say that since you appeared on someone else's show and you're extracting your own soundbite of yourself saying something smart, you're inadvertently also promoting the other person's show. Hmm. They're happy because now they're getting even more of their message and their brand out there too. So really you end up building a win-win situation all around. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, you have to look at all these, all these things as assets and how can I make these assets work harder? for me, for my business. Um, And I think that we, and I I mean, I know I still come across things and I, there's another asset and it got published somewhere. Somebody published it and I haven't done anything with it. It's, it's kind of like um, I'm, I'm doing a bit of a housekeeping audit on my investments right now. And so there's money tied up in, shares that are not performing really well so i'm looking at that saying that money could i could sell it sell those shares and put that money somewhere else where it's working harder or earning a better return so it's the same kind of principle with the content isn't it yes and i think a lot of businesses especially when i'm speaking to businesses who are thinking about their marketing dollars and where they're going to allocate those dollars they're looking at the traditional thing that they've been doing right the radio ads with the TV commercial, you know, the print ads that they've been doing, and they're looking at the ROI of that. And then they're saying, hmm, but everyone's attention is on this phone over here. So how can I now take that budget and mm-hmm. reallocate that to where people's attention actually is? And I think I heard a statistic recently. It was something like Americans open their phones 96 times a day, <laughs> something like that, a lot. And if people's attention is on their phones and you're not creating content to put in front of them on their phones and in their feeds, or you're not creating content to email them and so that you show up in their inbox where their attention is, it's a missed opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of where where's the attention focused. Where and and I guess that raises the question of who are we who are we trying to reach? Who's our dream audience? And then, so where is their attention focused? It's often 
one of the things that is overlooked or there isn't a very definitive idea of who that person is. It's too general in most mm -hmm. cases. I think we're maybe often guilty of that, especially in maybe the earliest stages when you're kind of getting started. You don't know the details of who that ideal person is. But I think over time, as you become more established, as you become more uh, successful, you know, that clarity starts to come over time. I'm really a big believer that creating the, the creative process of actually creating content, expressing your ideas, whether you do it in on your own or in a format like I've described in a Q&A type of format, you're creating content and you're expressing your ideas. I believe that clarity comes from the process of doing that hmm. and listening to the audience in return. So when you do that over the course of many weeks or months or possibly years, you learn a lot. You gain a lot of intelligence about the people that you are serving or aspire to serve. And now you can start to tailor your message and your content to that end. And it just becomes, I think, more clear and more clear over time. Often we see people who hesitate to do content because they're waiting for the clarity. They're like, I'm going to start creating the content when I'm more clear. But the problem is, is that you never really ever feel 100% clear yeah. because it's the part that's part of the journey is, is to explore that and to have a relationship and understand who your ideal clients are. So what I would love to encourage people to do is say, you really, the best time to start was yesterday on the content. You need to start yesterday so that you can get on the journey of putting it out there listening to the response, understanding where they're coming from and gain that intelligence. Like the clarity comes in the doing. Mm. Yeah, and that, I've been speaking to quite a number of people recently uh, on how they're approaching social media and they're very much in that mindset of, I can run an experiment on social media. I can get an immediate kind of feedback. It costs me nothing except a little bit of time so I can write a post, post a video, audio um, piece of content speaking about a particular topic on social media and either I get engagement um, in which case I judge you know is that good engagement am I starting a conversation am I helping people in which case do more of that that's great or if it's a case of it's not seen it's ignored well then I've got to try something different I shift I agree with that I think that is a great way to approach it because especially if you have been spending years building an audience, why not use the audience as a somewhat of, I guess, of a, of a litmus test of, of where you can go with the direction of your ideas or point of view, you know, or expertise. So I agree with that. Hmm. And one of the things I know you're strong on the power of community and, and that essentially we spend a lot of time building an audience either through an email building an email list or through so well usually both through social media as well um, talk to me a little bit about what what's the value of nurturing that community and and really bringing bringing those people that are on those lists together as as a community and then having those conversations within that community well i would say that the most important community that I feel that I've built from a business perspective is really my network. 
right? My network is the most important community that I've built. It isn't necessarily the Facebook group or, you know, that that's online, you know, that's, that's a community of, of like-minded people and that's great. But from a business perspective, I have found that it's more of the network. It's the people that you stay in constant contact with, who you have coffee chats with, who you get on Zoom with, who you check in with regularly, who is a, a power partner. Maybe there's an affiliate relationship or there's talk about building some type of affiliate relationship, something collaborative, something that you can build together. You come on my show, I come on yours. Those types of relationships, to my view, have been the most beneficial from a community perspective. And so it, I don't think there's, there's nothing wrong with having a Facebook group or a, a community of, of like-minded people in a social forum. But I guess the question I would ask is, is your network also solid? Because that's really where business development happens. The business development doesn't happen, I think, so much in a, in a Facebook group. That's kind of more the surface level of it. It's how, how much deeper are you going from a networking perspective? What does your, you know, what does your network look like? And can you, do you have a network of people who are smarter than you and more advanced than you, who you can call up and ask for advice? You know, those are the, those I think are the real advantage. Um, th those are really the, the community or the community that I really try to always keep in mind and, and build. Hmm. Yeah, and and the other part of that for me too is um, the benefits of having that network, as you described it, is adding value by connecting people who might benefit from knowing one another and benefit from having a conversation. So I like to do that connection because often that's the easiest thing I can contribute in value to people that are more advanced than me, that are better than me, that are doing better than me. Um, and I often, you know, it took me a long time to gain the confidence to say, well, actually, I've got something of value to add to them because I know some other people that they don't know and, and they would benefit from knowing them and having conversations with them. Yeah. And I think in the, I think in the online space too, Jürgen, we see a lot of people who they search for that they're going for the sale, right? They're looking at mm. social media and they're going, okay, how can I make the sale quickly right now on social media immediately, instant gratification. And they're missing the whole point. It's like the social media is just the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg of a relationship that you can build with someone. But if you look below the surface of the water, there's a huge iceberg underneath it. And most of the mass of that iceberg is underneath. Hmm. And that's where we ought to be, you know, really spending, I think the majority of our, of our time ought to be on nurturing those relationships in at that level. It's not to say that you shouldn't do social media. Of course you need to, because you do have to have that attention. You've got to be visible. You can't have any of the stuff under the iceberg or under the surface of the water if you don't have that tip that's coming out of the water hmm. because people don't know who you are. If you're not visible, you have no online presence. You're not in the online world. You don't exist if you don't have an online presence in the online space. So it's making sure that you're um, you know, nurturing those relationships, I think, is one of the key components of a, of a successful business. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. The iceberg metaphor is 
is a good one. The what what I'm conflicted about is particularly to take your point to when when you're exploring that going deeper is on a one-on-one -on -one basis it's quite easy you, you sort of started a conversation on social media with somebody and say hey i'd like to really dig deeper on this let's get on a call and chat and and that works pretty well once once you've established a little bit of a relationship people are pretty happy to just jump on a call get to know one another better and see where that leads when it's a group situation that's that's where i'm a little conflicted how do you um because facebook groups or linkedin groups linkedin groups uh, i don't think many people use them at all so I, I don't see them really visible facebook groups i i i've gone off facebook altogether i still have the accounts but i pretty much do nothing on there and it's because it's so noisy and if i'm going in there just to scan what's going on in the groups that I'm a member of, I get all this other stuff and I may not ever see what's going on in those groups. So I'm kind of conflicted between having that presence on the social media where you, you need that sort of tip of the iceberg visibility, as you put it, um, and where do you take the group interactions when you want to go deeper with the group? And I'm, I'm sort of looking at options for that right now to take it off the big social media platforms and, and have another platform, which essentially is my real estate, um, where that group can live. Well, I mean, I think that social media's purpose is to be that place where you can be visible and remind people, hey, remember me? Remember the, the cool things that I can do for you? Or remember the value that I've provided? You know, it's kind of like that reminder piece mm that you're doing on social media. Um, but to your point about the groups, yeah, I think that there's different ways to go about that. I've tried both ways to have my own internal community built on a platform of my own, and it didn't really go that well. There wasn't a lot of engagement because there was, there were more steps for people to follow. They had to log into something and then they don't remember their login. They don't know the username and the password and then they, and they get frustrated. And if you ask people to go through more hoops than are necessary, they're likely not to do it. So I have found that that didn't work as well. For me and my audience, and again, it's different for everyone, the Facebook group option was the best option from a social media group perspective because people are more attuned to it. They're kind of my audience, at least in Facebook fairly regularly. So in my case, it would work. If your audience isn't on Facebook, then that doesn't work. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's a it's a challenging thing to answer because it depends so much on what who your ideal you know people are, and then to, then the next part of your question about well what do you do then if you have a group let's say it is in my case a Facebook group and how do you then take that conversation offline? Well, I mean I think first of all it'd be great if you have all those people on your email list so that you're also being able to connect with them through the the social platform but also through your email list it's just another touch point. Maybe it is a case of having that that level of engagement with them in the Facebook group and then DMing them or sending them a private message to further that individual conversation. Most people, I think, in that scenario are not as likely to be as revealing about all the issues and concerns mm -hmm. and things that they have in a public forum. 
they don't want to air their, their, their laundry in front of everyone necessarily. So I would probably opt to try to take that conversation offline, uh, initially maybe as a private message and then ultimately an invitation to get on a call with an individual person rather than a group. Hmm. Yeah. Lots of things to consider there. Um, and, and as you say, making it harder for people is obviously going to reduce the amount of engagement you do get. So. And that's really what it's all about, especially in a, in a group dynamic, right? We're trying to in trying to get engagement and trying to get people to react or learn something or be informed or motivated or inspired. Um, I have found that any of the, any of the relationships that I have built or let's say even led to work, you know, where we have a, a client relationship has always initiated from a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Mm. It's, it isn't really like a group thing as much as it is maybe starting at a group level, but then it eventually ends up being, hey, let's chat, whatever format that is, and then let's talk further and let's have a, you know, and you kind of moving people down mm. uh, that, that customer journey. Yeah, so conversations again, as we said. It's earlier. always conversations. Mm. It's always talking. And, and coming back to, Jurgen, to my point earlier about social media being, often people use it for, they use social media as selling media. <laughs> yeah. And that can work to a degree. But if you really want to use social media for what it's intended to be, is since it's intended to be an, a, a door opening, a crack in the door to a relationship or conversation with someone. And then what you do with it beyond that is, is entirely up to you. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I often get requests even on LinkedIn still where um, the request will come through, please join my net, or I'd like to join your network, I think is the way it works. Uh, I'd like to join your network and, and there'll be a sale connected to that. So that immediately disqualifies them. And then yeah. sometimes um, I do have a filter, but sometimes people get through that filter. I connect with them and then immediately I get a, direct message saying buy my stuff <laughs> and, right and i it always cracks me up because i think well hang on who are you again <laughs> we've only just met i interviewed ethan um ethan butte on my podcast and he's the author of humanize human-centered communication and in his book he talks about digital pollution and that's exactly what we're talking about. It's those those messages that we get in our inbox where it's disingenuous and you know that it you're being targeted. It's pretty apparent. Never heard of these people before. They're selling something. And so that whole digital pollution thing is is very real and we're seeing more and more of it. So we as consumer, we have a little rate, we have a radar for that, right? It's like we can tell and you feel it. You're by, you know, your spidey senses start tingling because you know, I'm being sold here. I'm being targeted. So don't be that person who approaches it that way. If you don't appreciate receiving digital pollution, hmm. then don't be the person who creates it and puts it into the world. Don't be a litterer. Like don't, don't litter, I guess. I don't think that yeah. litterer is a word, but don't litter. Um, and so that's how I would prefer to, to approach it is just to, 
And that's why I think the value-based content conversation is so important, whether you do it in a show format, like your podcast format, like you do, or a live video podcast, like I do, or you're creating a, maybe you have, um, maybe yours is just an Instagram account and you go live or you make posts on Instagram and that's your thing, whatever that is, be value-driven first, hmm. as opposed to sales-driven. And I think that you will reap the, the benefits of that over the course of time. Yeah, that's that's such valuable advice. And I think, you know, the, the most likely thing to happen is the right person looks at something you've put out there that has value. They recognize, wow, this is useful to me. And it might very well lead to a conversation where they contact you and say, hey, tell me more about that. And there's your conversation. And there's the there's the essentially one customer journey that's been initiated. I mentioned this earlier too, about how we have a tendency to want instant gratification. Like that's the kind of society that we live in. There have been many, many cases, Jurgen, where I have connected some, let's say I do a speaking engagement. I go on a show or I'm on a stage of some description and someone hears me speak. Okay, great. And then six months later, they hear my name again because I'm at mm. some other event. Oh, here, there's that girl. They might not know my name yet, but there's that girl who talks about video. Hmm. And then three months after that, they hear me again. Maybe it's on my own program now. It gets fed to them on their social feed. And they go, oh, that's that, what's her name? Cheryl, I think, right? And so now over the course of this time, it could be months, could hmm. be years. And then it gets to a point, how many touch points later, that person goes, oh, that's Cheryl Plouffe. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching her on TV. She does this video thing now, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, you gradually people start to get to know you. I've had many people and clients even currently who we connected initially three years ago. Hmm. And it wasn't until now that we've developed this, this, this client relationship because that just wasn't the time yeah. three years ago. So when we talk about consistency and we hear all so much about, oh, you have to be consistent. That's why you need to be consistent hmm. because there needs to there needs to be various touch points for a person to get to a know you recognize your name understand who you are or what you do and and a lot of things need to align they need to be in a position where they want the service that you're providing they have a problem to solve all these things need to come together in a in a in a in a, in a confluence I, I i don't know if that's the right word but like it all has to come together at the right time for there to be the ultimate thing which you want, which is to you know sell more of your products and services. That can happen immediately. I've had the, the opposite be true. People hear me on a, I don't know, an event, and within 24 hours, I've sold them something that they need. Hmm. You know, you got the, the people who move quickly and the people who don't move so quickly. That's why consistency is so important. That's right, yeah. And most, most people these days, because we have the internet and there's so much information there, most people will do a little bit of research before they spend money with someone and As they look, should. look for yeah and look for information so the more information that's out there that can either reinforce their their um, impression that you're the right person to help them right now or which is equally as good indicate to them that no you're not the right person or you're not a good fit for what they need because that's serving them the best if that is the case as well. So both of those scenarios 
are really good for everybody. And the more information that's out there published and accessible to people, the, the more you'll be in that position. Yeah, keep showing up. I have some, I have had at least two cases where I can think of fairly recently where people have messaged me unsolicited. They've, you know, they've received the mess. I've received messages from them saying, I know I can't afford you right now, but you are, I'm going to work with you at some point. I just wanted to let you know, I appreciate, you know, what you do and uh, we are going to work together someday. I'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that nice? Mm. So, when you receive something like that, you know that you're making an impact. And isn't that really what it's all about? So irregardless of whether that does lead to something or not in terms of, of making a sale at some point, ultimately, I know I'm making an impact on that person. Otherwise, they would not have sent that message. Hmm. And so it warms my heart when I receive a message like that because I go, okay, I'm making an impact at least. Yeah, yeah. You know, And isn't that really what business is really all about is making an impact? Yeah, that's wonderful. I think on that note, it's probably a good point to move on to the buzz, our innovation round, the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the idea is you'll inspire the listener to go and take some action and do something awesome today as a result. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I think to be more innovative, you need to be willing to look stupid. You have to be willing to look unprofessional. You have to be willing to go to a place that you might, your head doesn't want to take you to, but you have to be willing to do that. I think about some of the first videos that I produced on my own, even though I had a lot of experience in front of the camera, I had less experience from the back end in terms of production. Some of my first videos were terrible, Jurgen. They were terrible. They were blue or the color was off or it was white, not white balanced. I made all kinds of mistakes, but I was willing to go there to the point where today I obviously have learned so much more about how I go about doing things. Mm, yeah, that's such a great point. And I think if I think back to the very early podcasts I did, some of them were really good because I I had conversations with people I knew really well and had good relationships with. But when I met somebody new in those very early days, those conversations were very stilted because I'd built this very detailed script and it, if things didn't follow that script because the answer to one question was a little bit different and kind of pointed us in a different direction and I didn't have the confidence to kind of follow that direction, it sounded very stilted. But I learnt a lot going through the process and, and reflecting on what worked really well with those conversations with the people I knew well. So I've got to do that with everyone. And um, yeah, yeah that's, it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping yeah. stone to getting to where you ultimately want to get. That's where the innovation lies, because now you start to think about new ways of doing things or how can I be more resourceful or how can I be more efficient with how I am doing whatever the thing is that I'm trying to do. And so I think that's where the innovation lives. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of quotes and I can't remember who uh, who to attribute these to, um, but they've stuck in my mind. One is. Um, you don't need to be great to start, but you do need to start to be great. And the other one is um, along the lines of to get to to get to exceptional, you have to pass through okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Hmm. 
Okay, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? The best thing I've done to develop new ideas was to transition from doing D, uh, DIY training, in other words, teaching people how to make their own videos, mm. to where I am today, which is to make the videos. So the best thing that I've done is, and this happened throughout the pandemic, throughout the, the first period of the, of the pandemic, was a recognition that people were panicking and pivoting and in many ways just trying to survive. And for me to have continued down the path that I was on, which is to teach them how to make their own videos, was not really going to benefit them because they didn't have the time, the energy, the will, or the want to make, they want videos. They don't want to learn necessarily how to make their own videos. It was a bit of an epiphany for me. Hmm. So I switched my company direction really overall to, instead of teaching the DIY, here's how to do it yourself. Now I was building a world-class system to do it for them and with them. And that was the thing that I've developed that um, really led to more, more ideas and more products that have led us to where we are today. Hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. And one of the things that's really powerful about that different model that done it, uh, done for you and done with you model is that with the DIY training, and I know I've taken lots of courses where I've purchased the course, I've spent my own money, I've spent a little bit of time going through some of the course. Often I don't finish it because other things get in the way or I lose interest or maybe the course is not that good. Um, or I go through the, the whole course and then just never get around to implementing the lessons from that. So it's a, it's a case of, as a course provider, you're never really sure, do people get the full value from this? I know the course is fabulous, but do they get the full value for, from this? Are they actually implementing the lessons? Whereas if it's a, the done for you or the done with you model, you, you can monitor that, you know that... Um, people are taking the action and hopefully getting the results then. Yeah, there's a certain guarantee as the content producer or um, of the, the business owner in my case, in my case, I'm guaranteeing that the videos are getting done because we're actually creating the videos hmm. as opposed to leaving it to the student to consume the content, learn how to do it and make it on their own. I have found that when we transitioned from teaching them how to make it themselves to when we actually did it for and with them, that results just were exponentially better because there was more of a guarantee that the content actually got created. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, what's the favorite resource you use most often? I have so many of them. This <laughs> is a difficult thing to narrow down. However, I would say Airtable is one of my favorite tools. Are you familiar with it, Jurgen? Yeah, yeah. I, I used Airtable for a little while for, and I've still got some Airtable databases that we we do use. It's I never really got, um, I never really mastered the learning curve on Airtable, but I could recognize the power of it. I love it because, and we've built a lot of our automation and continue to build a lot of automation behind it and integrate tools into it using other tools, uh, you know, Zapier, for example, or ClickUp or Google Drive and all these different things. But I think Airtable ends up being the, the, 
the main crux of what it is that we're building because it's just it's like it's like spreadsheets on steroids really mm. to a large degree and there's so much that you can do within it so airtable has been one of my favorite tools to learn and i have certainly not learned the entire thing i mean there's so much to do in there but it is uh i think a, a great productivity tool because of the automation and the way that we're building our systems to integrate with other tools from there hmm. yeah it's great and um it, it is essentially built like a relational database which is i think they're very powerful a relational databases where you can pull information out you can have a very complex sort of collection of your complete information and then you can pull that information out or connect the information across the different um different areas for example we i mean we have notion that we use in a similar way and when i discovered notion i kind of gave up on airtable because i just gravitated more towards notion for the way it worked yep. the what we we have our entire podcasting process set up on that and then we can look at what are the ones that are have to be edited what are the ones that have to be prepared for the recording what are the ones where i have to record and the intro or outro and we can just pull that out and we've got it connected to a database of the guests and their contact details and when i next connect them so you have all these different tables and i, I know that Airtable lets you do the same kind of thing yeah well it's about workflows it's also i think uh, a, a storage center as well because you can store let's say thumbnails and you can see them all within an entry the thing I love about Airtable too is that you can create an entire an entire base of data and let's say assets and links and all of the rest. And now you can start to parse that out into different views for certain team members. Mm -hmm. So if you know that a certain team member only really needs to know about three of these 10 entries on a record, you can set up a view that they only see those three things. So now people aren't confused or distracted or moving in other directions. So there's just so much that it does. It's so robust and I'm, I'm still learning. I think I learn something about it every single day, but it's definitely a, a productivity tool that we use in a lot of ways. Great. All right. Uh, now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Well, I think to keep a client on track, um, I always like to have a rather than email, I like to have a messaging uh, relationship with them. And that could be through just text messaging, or in some cases, it could be through Facebook messaging or sometimes Instagram or LinkedIn. But more often than not, it's going to be through actual text messaging or maybe through Facebook. I like the text messaging aspect of it because, more so than email. I just find that email, it, you know, you have to use it. Yes, in some circumstances, there has to be an email sent. But for that kind of keeping on track, updating, it doesn't have to be a long email or the formalities of that. It can just be a quick update. From a team perspective, um, one of the ways that we like to keep on track is using Slack. Mm. Now, if I can get a, a client to communicate in Slack and they're familiar with it, then all the better. So it's going to be some type of very quick text messaging back and forth that will be uh, the key to keeping on track. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I like the idea of the, the quick messages. I mean, we use Slack for our team, um, but we haven't 
gotten any customers on there yet and might be worth yeah, exploring. I think ours, is strictly, ours is strictly team right now. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that I love about the, the quick text message format, whether it's uh, through a Slack tool or whether it's through a, a text message tool, is that not only can you send the text, but you can also utilize their more dynamic features, be it uh, you know, voice mail, uh, audio message, or even a quick video. Sometimes you can just, whatever needs to be communicated can be communicated in a 10 or 15 second audio. snippet of a video or an audio or, or sharing some type of, let's say I find something, this will happen often where I'll find something more of a swipe file that I want to share with a client. I'll say, oh, this is a video or I really like how they did this. I want to share this with my client so that they can envision what it is I'm trying to explain. Hmm. Then I would send that over to them, maybe make a little audio message that goes along with the explanation of why I'm sending that. So I find that that process is just so much easier to do because I'm likely doing it on my phone um, hmm. versus an email, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, and, and there's a, a neat little tip there that you've, touched on and that's recording a quick video or audio message to rather than typing something and often that explanation comes across much better and also it conveys the emotion and like in this case perhaps excitement uh, much better than just a written word on paper or on a screen one other thing that i do and it's just fun to do in a text message i have a bitmoji you know, where you create a caricature of yourself. And so every so often, just to lighten the mood and have some fun, because after all, this should be fun, right? Yeah. Creating content should be fun. I might send a little bit moji of me skateboarding or something, right? Just to, to brighten the mood sometimes. It's, it's just fun to have a little bit of, of fun. It's easier to do that in a text message than it is on an email. Oh, okay. Well, I've just learned something because I when I first got my uh, Samsung Galaxy S21 phone, that came up as a feature and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So I played with it and I've got all these bitmojis, but I didn't know, well, what do I do with them now? <laughs> I'll send you one after our interview. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll have to go and find mine now. All right. And finally, for the buzz round, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? I think it, it stems from their from your singular point of view and maybe even a polarizing point of view. What do you believe? And be confident enough to go out there and actually express it, even though you might alienate some people. Hmm. You want to alienate some people. You do want to have people who identify as not your audience. And this is something that we often, I often hear from people say, yeah, but what if I say that and they don't like it? That's true. They might not like it, but that's good <laughs> because the people who do like it will like you even more for being so bold as to go out and say the thing that you might be afraid to say. Hmm. So I think it stems around this idea of point of view and having the confidence to go out there and express it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and the people that don't like, that point of view and therefore may not like you for expressing it you don't want to work with them anyway because at some point that's going to come up and, and they're going to realize hey i don't agree with that person's point of view right and i think there's there it, it can also 
I think we also have to keep in mind that when I when I talk about point of view, I mean from a business perspective. Mm. I'm not suggesting that people have to go out and necessarily be controversial, right? Or maybe bringing in, let's say you have, let's say you have political views or you have views about certain things that may be deemed controversial and you don't want to talk about those things in the business from a business perspective, that's totally fine. But from a business perspective, what are what is your point of view about what it is that you do and how you do things? That's the part that really needs to be expressed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Cheryl. So thank you. And where can people reach out and find out more about the work you do? Find out more about you and listen into the Cash In on Camera show and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today. Jurgen, it's been just a pleasure to be on your show. And I am reached at CherylPluff.com. Cheryl is spelled with an S. And you can reach me and connect with me on my website. But I am at Cheryl Pluff on all social media. It's one of the benefits of having a unique French Canadian name such okay. as Pluff, that it turned out that all the usernames were available back in the day when I was setting up all my social platforms. So I do have at Cheryl Pluff at all the all the platforms. So you can reach out to me and send me a DM. Just say that you heard me on the podcast with Jurgen. Would love to connect with you. And you know, I do have a, a Facebook group by the name Cash In on Camera. But the show is broadcast live on all of my social platforms in video format and also on audio. So if you searched Cash In on Camera or searched my name, you would likely find episodes and then can follow on your favorite podcast platform or in video format. Mm, wonderful. And we'll make it easier for you by posting all the links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Jürgen. This has been really fun. I, I think this yeah. is a this is a very important conversation for uh, for business owners to, you know, better understand content and especially repurposing how unique everyone's situation really is and how it's important to build a content plan that's really going to work for the for the objectives that you've set out in your business. Mm. Yeah, that's a great parting advice and wrap up. So be strategic about your content plan, build a content plan and, and use repurposing um, to really leverage those assets that you build finally cheryl who else should i get on the show and why you know i think a great guest would be my automation expert who i work with very very closely and especially i've been working with closely lately her name is amy keys and she is someone who knows airtable inside and out, not only Airtable, but anything to do with automation, she is your girl. She's just been instrumental to me. I've learned so much from her over the course of our working together. I think she would have a lot to say um, on the Innova Buzz podcast. All right. Well, we'll get an introduction to Amy from you and reach out to her to bring her on the show as well. Sounds like it could be a really interesting conversation and we might have to be careful we don't nerd out too much on technology. <laughs> <laughs> be prepared to nerd out because she she can go there. Yeah. And it's just it's so inspiring. She's someone who not only is smart, but just has such a positive energy around what can be sometimes complicated. Right. This is complicated work of trying to figure out how does this connect to that, but she keeps a very positive spirit around um, all of the, the building of these automations. And I just think the world of her. Hmm. 
All right. Well, thanks for suggesting, Amy, and thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today. This has been fun, Cheryl. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm sure that there's a lot of value here for our listener. So all the best for the future and please stay in touch. I will. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that engaging and really valuable conversation with Cheryl and took something away from her episode. I invite you to go back into your archive of recorded conversations and revisit them. It may be a podcast interview you were a guest on, or a webinar you presented, or even an email sequence you previously sent. You could read those and record them. Pick one that is relevant and topical right now to your business today and convert that one asset into as many pieces of content that you can think of. Here are some ideas to get you started. Three to five audio snippets. Three to five video snippets. Three to five text snippets. Audiograms. Slide decks. Quote cards. Q&A posts. Build templates that will make it easier to do this in the future. Imagine how taking what you already have and quickly converting that asset into at least 20 other pieces of content that can then be posted to social media, used in emails, posted to your newsletter, and more. What that will do for your visibility professional credibility and starting those conversations with dream customers. Cheryl's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Cheryl Plouffe. That is S-H-E-R-Y-L-P-L-O-U-F-F-E. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Cheryl Plouffe. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Cheryl, as well as links to her website, to the Cash In On Camera video podcast, Cheryl's social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you've listened this far into the show, here's a challenge for you. If you loved this conversation and think it'd be useful to another person, be brave enough to share that conversation with that one other person. I'm also guessing that in the 505 or so other episodes that we've published until right now, there's at least one there that is equally as valuable to you as this episode. You could pick your favourite number or just take a 30-second glance through the past episodes and between now and the next episode, listen to one more. And then write me a note on LinkedIn about which episode you picked and why and what your biggest takeaway was. Cheryl suggested that we have a conversation with automation strategist and implementation specialist Amy Keyes on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Amy, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast courtesy of Cheryl Kluve. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode so that we can get to know you and why you listen. 
Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel, where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you, a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jurgen Strauss from Innova Biz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating. <laughs>